Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back for you guys for what is the first episode of the 2023 series of View. Okay. I'm very excited to be joined by Kai Karnak. How are you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, 2023 has got off to a good start for Arsenal. Win against Ooh. Oxford, which you were at, of course. The decent result against Newcastle. So all good over here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, of course, those listening know that we've done a couple of these shows at the end of 2022. Um, a lot of uh, stuff has happened in the space of time, of course. Things have changed and things have been set up now very much so that we can indeed commit to doing these podcasts weekly. What we can't commit is necessarily say it's going to be on a specific day, uh, but what we're hoping to bring you is, of course, one of these podcasts every week at this stage. And of course, if we do land on a specific day, we'll let you know as soon as possible. But if you are following us across our socials, you'll know when they're going out you'll know when we're asking for questions so make sure you are following us at tom canter media at kaya at 97 and you'll be able to get all the info you need onto when these podcasts will be dropping as we try to bring you our views not only from the clock end but of course from the press box as well and outside of the ground on and off the pitch uh we kick off uh really kaya i want to know how was your christmas and new year mate that's the best way i think to start 2023 yeah, um, it's been so long ago that it's, I'm always mm. forgetting. But um, yeah, it was it was good. Thank you, mate. Um, obviously, the World Cup being around Christmas was was new, but also I thought quite exciting. I, I during the World Cup break, I was I went on holiday to America, which was great. Um, I went out traveling to Dubai to cover the team out there for their preseason stuff, which was fantastic as well. And coming back home was a lot colder. Going from the 25 degrees of Dubai to a minus five degrees of of London was a, a bit of a a bit of a shock. I'm getting no sympathy from your face there, and that—that's that's, <laughs> not really. No, not getting any sympathy from anyone on that one. I, I think that's absolutely fine. But um, yeah, it was it was it was a good Christmas, and you know, football means that football journalists don't really have a, a relaxed Christmas. I guess like like lots of people, I think it's it's quite a hectic time for us. Um, obviously, press conferences in the build-up and all the games that happen around Boxing Day, uh, New Year's Eve, all that kind of stuff. But still managed to get some time to see family, see friends. And yeah, it was good. How about you? How was yours? Yeah, it was chill this year. Um, I spent time at my my parents with his first time, obviously first Christmas married this year, uh, which means that you start with the, all the politics of where you have to have the dinner. Is it the wife's family, your family? Well, we had it at my family's. Uh, my granddad is getting to a stage where you know we want to spend as many Christmases with him as possible. So we stayed home uh, with my my parents and had had lunch there, and then in the evening we went off to to the wife's family to to exchange gifts there. So managed to split time, uh, which was really great and uh, hopefully our listeners as well for those tuning in had a fantastic time if you indeed do celebrate Christmas as well but New Year's was uh, was a lot of fun uh, because I was uh, with you <laughs> you know <laughs> down down in Brighton it was an interesting drive back um, from Brighton and uh, we all know obviously it was a it was a kind of chaotic stadium because it was overflow area for press you had to go outside the ground back into the ground and then go through like all the the bars and stuff to get to where it is a very unique experience from a journalist point of view because it's so used to kind of going through all the press avenues through the stadium but yeah very raw and and fan I kind of enjoyed it in a way reconnecting with that fan side of things yeah, it was great. Um, I actually thought we had a better view than you would have done down. Mm. Tom and I were right up in the gods um, watching the game and you had a great tactical view of everything that was going on. You, mm. You're not quite as, I guess, au fait with everything that's going on on the pitch, which <clears throat> sometimes can be a bit, feel like missing out. But I think when the atmosphere is as good as it was at um, at the Amex, when we were there on New Year's Eve, then it doesn't really doesn't really matter. And we managed to get down in time for the, the press conference. We recovered our, our breath in time. You got some great questions out of Martin Odegaard. I was fortunate enough to speak to Mikel as well. Got some great questions there. And um, 
yeah, it was it was a good trip all in all. Managed to get back mm. in time for eleven thirty to celebrate New Year's Eve with my friends as well. So just about uh, uh, a good day all around. Nice one. Yeah, but it was interesting getting back because you got got back around half 10, 11 o'clock. I left slightly earlier than you did and, and managed to get back at the moment where everyone hits kind of the merry stage or New Year's <laughs> Eve. So that was catch up. Lot lots of catch up. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Um, now, of course, last night, speaking of, of the privileges of the journalistic world, uh, of course, you got to attend the, uh, the stadium reveal of the artwork that is going to be uh, put up around the Emirates Stadium. Uh, we saw, I think, all but one of the, the designs that will go up. Um, with one still being under progress, although we're led to believe that there's the information around being very fan-focused. So we look forward to seeing what that looks like. And, um, yeah, tell us about the, the experience, what it was like, because there was a lot of familiar faces there, it's fair to say. There was. As everyone who you can imagine had an association with Arsenal pretty much was was there. It was a very glitzy event, very glamorous. It was in uh, Angel in North London, around that area, a place called the, the Candid Arts Trust, where the, the bands are actually on display, I think, for the next four days, if anyone wants to go check them out during the daytime, I think from 10 till 4, I want to say, but don't mm. hold me to that. Definitely double-check it, but it's definitely worth going to check it out. The, the banners are very cool, and uh, it, was a, it was a great event. I mean, it was the, the classic sort of... Um, caterers walking around with hors d'oeuvres and canapes that are smaller than you really? think. Canapes are my favourite food. Like, oh, they, I love canapes. They were delicious, <laughs> but by the time I got home, I needed to get a takeaway Nando's just to fill up. Like, I needed, I needed You didn't have enough food. of them then. That's clearly the No, idea. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. There's a real art to being able to, to grab those canapes during one of those events. I think mm. I need to start going to a few more of them to, to learn how it's done. But it was a great event. I mean, uh, all, the, uh, all the names you'd expect to be there were there. Ian Wright, obviously we saw him on his social media Edu was there, Richard Garlick was there, Tim Lewis was there, Vinay Venkateshan was there. Um, who else was there? Lee Dixon, um, Ma- not Martin Martin, Keogh, Erd- Martin Erdegaard was there as well. Martin Erdegaard, of course. How can mm. I forget him? The Arsenal captain was there. <laughs> and you know what? I, I, fair play to Erdegaard for coming down. I think there are Arsenal captains of the past who probably wouldn't have wanted to do that. Arsenal players of the past who probably wouldn't have wanted to do that. And I think it would have been very difficult to to get them down there. And I think he has really, you know, embraced that that side of the role. I think he respects that, listen, no footballer really wants to be spending too much time with the off-the-pitch stuff. They want to be on the pitch. And if you mm. speak to any of them, that the media side of things is sort of generally viewed as a bit of a, a something you have to do rather than something you want to do, which for us is obviously a bit problematic. But yeah. listen, he, he came down there. He was there for well over an hour. Lots of smiles, lots of selfies, which, you know, can get, Tiring, I imagine, Intense. after a while. Not yeah. that anyone, no one's ever wanted to take a picture with me, so it's, I don't know what that's like. But <laughs> for him, I imagine it's it's quite a lot. But he's used to it. He's been around it since he was fifteen. He knows how to work the room. He knows how to do these situations, and he was he was very good. Um, Roman Kent gave a good little presentation as well for any of our international listeners. He's a he's a radio DJ over here in the UK, mm. and yeah, it was a really good night. And I personally am a big fan of the artwork. I'm intrigued to hear what what you think about them. But I think I think that they look really good. Yeah, I like um, it's. I, I love it when they manage to mix new and retro stuff together. You know, I am, as you can tell from what I'm wearing right now. For those listening on audio, it's it's one of the new 1886 range of of hoodies. Uh, I'm a real sucker for retro modernization. And uh, when they kind of, you know, that's why I love the the, the new Bruce Banana kit. I love the fact they brought back the Lightning Bolt kit. You know, things like that. I just love it when they reimagine old stuff. And to be honest. 
let's be commercial commercial wise nostalgia is always used for money like it just is what it works clearly it's a successful business plan and i'm an absolute sucker for it so i love all of the little imagery and the messaging and the hidden stuff and we're going to be delving into some of the hidden stuff of course in some pieces uh on football london that will be going to be going out fingers crossed um in the coming days or so trying to get out as many of the little hints and, and things we can spot in those images and I, I just love the connection. I love the the way in which it blends so much of both the men's and the women's sides of the game as well. Um, you know, because if you look at the Emirates Stadium, what it was before, it was very male orientated, you know, um, and that has really shifted. And that comes with a better, you know, it being publicised so much more, being shown on TV so much more, better coverage of the women's game. And especially what the England women's team did during the Euros as well this year has really raised the profile to the point where we're going to stop talking about the fact that we need to talk about it and that's where we need to get to the stage so i think arsenal are doing absolutely the right thing there and and helping to further that i love the like little details on the trophy that, that show the names of the players that aren't featured in the image i think that's a really classy touch and of course the fan group as well which make up uh this massive global fan base that we have i've had so many people i don't know about you i've had people message me saying we made it with like a picture of their supporter group people that listen to the channel and stuff which is great um onto it and uh yeah craig who actually sent me that uh fort lauderdale gooners uh scarf uh, they they made it onto the uh the plaque as well which is fantastic so yeah overall sound was like a lot of fun congratulations to craig as well those guys are doing they're, they're really good at sort of getting out there and trying to integrate new new mm. uh, members into their, into their group and i'm fortunate enough to meet him actually out in america we've messaged mm. two times since he's a good guy so very happy for him very happy for all the the fan bases who made it onto that that banner that personally is actually my favorite one with all the uh supporter groups on there i know lots of people like the the hybrid one with all the players leaning out the window yeah, that's quite a nice one that's one where you sort of you notice all the little easter eggs you notice something different each time you look at it which is always yeah. a, it's always a nice thing and yeah, I, I think just on the women's point, I think that's a really good good point you made. And I was personally, I, I was fortunate enough to see them in advance and I was a little mm. concerned about how people might react in terms of will you... Why were them? you concerned? Because I, I'd, the- I'd heard, because I hadn't seen them, but, you know, there, there'd be indications made to me that they that people might be divided over, you know, the, the artwork. And when I saw them all... I, I struggled to see that. So tell me why you no, felt that. Listen, I, I personally, I thought it was it was a really good thing that Arsenal were doing. And I think the fact that they're, they're having more games at the Emirates is great. And I think the fact that the club has a history of getting behind the women's game and re-supporting mm. it, and the fact that they're trying to do that on a level playing field. I think the fact that Edu and Vinay are both involved in the uh, the running of the women's team as well. It's not viewed as a separate entity. It's viewed as, as part of the club as a whole. Yeah. My only concern was just social media is going to social media. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the criti- I was expecting criticisms of sort of wokery and all that kind of stuff, which, I, listen, Arsenal can't be afraid of that if they're going to put out stuff like that. And if they want to make steps into the 21st century, those are the kind of messages they need to be putting mm. out there. No issues at all. I was just, I assumed just I from you. being around Twitter, <laughs> that kind of stuff would come and <laughs> it hasn't and that's really refreshing the, the the reaction to it has been overwhelmingly positive and you know what i think that's that's good because even if you don't like how it looks i think you do have to respect the, the level of detail arsenal have have gone to and it was it was really the stadium was a symbol of that declining relationship between the fans and the club and i thought it was really emblematic that when those cronky out protests happened a, a few years ago that they happened at the Emirates Stadium with the paint chipping off the uh, the Legends wrap, as it was called, the mm. club crest fading in the background. It was really, you know, a really good metaphor for everything that was going on at the club. And 
obviously since then things have got better the screens inside the stadium have changed the pa system i'm, I'm going to the media entrance most games but my my friend to a season ticket holders tell me that it's a lot easier to to get into the, the game into the stadium mm -hmm. now and i think this is another extension of that you know they're, they're proving that fan issues do matter to them Mikel Arteta's always been massive about that we've seen with the ashburton army that fans have a real influence on the way the team plays the atmosphere in the emirates is so much more positive now and i think this is just another step in that right direction so listen i think people may not like it as i say some will like some banners more than others but at the end of the day you do have to respect that arsenal put a lot of effort into this they started it in april they're now revealing it in january so that's eight months worth of effort and they've really left no stone unturned so there are some aspects which people might be controversially sort of opposed to maybe no Cesc Fabregas on there no Aaron Ramsey on there no Santi Cazorla stuff like that maybe more modern Emirates era players but personally I think you know I'm, I'm willing to put that aside for the amount of effort that Arsenal have put in I think that's that's really commendable yeah absolutely uh you know legends earn their spots and and usually time and history makes you appreciate them more and you know what the Emirates is now well it'll be turning trying to think 17 years old um this year in yes. 2023 yes. so it was built in 2006 so yeah 17 years it'll be turning and we're talking about players that never played in the emirates obviously on the outside of that stadium and i'm sure in another 13 years time we'll probably have uh, another refresh of the stadium maybe the plan is a 10-year cycle for this is okay. what, what i've been told so the plan is to, to keep it around for 10 years and you make a good point like if this had been done 18 months ago and those conky out protests were going on, chances <laughs> are Arsenal fans would have wanted Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang on the side of the stadium. Yeah, and true. obviously look how that's turned out. I, I totally get why the more recent players weren't included and why they they, they played it safe with the past because mm. you don't want, I don't know, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen, but let's say Bakayo Saka moves to Man City in the January transfer window and you just put him on the outside of your stadium, that looks pretty don't bad. Don't steal that aggregators. That's not what he's saying, yes, I swear. Yes, I can see that coming out now. <laughs> But obviously, it would have looked pretty bad. So I think, you know, yeah. Arsenal played it safe and it's probably the right decision, even if everyone might not like it. Yeah, agreed. Um, so I suppose it being January, we should probably chat transfers. Uh, we're going to be talking North London Derby in a little bit. Don't worry if transfers is not your thing. Uh, you can fast forward through this, but I'm sure plenty of people want to listen to, to kind of where we are at regarding uh, transfers. The, where I want to start is with Joao Felix uh, immediately because I just want to kind of get the, the, the draw a line under this story. He's gone to, to Chelsea, as we know. Arsenal had an interest in the player on signing him on loan. Why do you think we didn't end up getting the player? I mean, I think if you look at the, the, the fees that Chelsea have ended up paying for him, I think that probably explains... A lot of it, I think Chelsea paid a, a £9 million loan fee and mm -hmm. uh, he's obviously on very high wages. They're paying all his wages and also Atletico extended his contract by a further year. So Atletico are really the winners in that situation. There's no obligation to buy, no option to buy. So essentially, it's sort of like sending your 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 kid off to a summer camp and then bring him back. It's that kind of that kind of vibe with Raul Felix. If it goes well for Atletico, they can either reintegrate him into the squad or sell him for a lot more money in the summer than they probably would have been able to now. And I, I think mm. as far as Arsenal are concerned, they're, they're looking at longer-term deals. They're looking at players who can come in and be there as part of the project. I don't think they're interested in, in sticking plasters, particularly sticking plasters that cost that much money. So, yeah, that's that's, you know, I think that's why... and speaking to people around the deal, hearing all about that kind of stuff. I think that's that's generally why it, it didn't work out. Um, obviously, he's a fantastic player and I think he'll actually do pretty well at Chelsea. I, I can see why it would uh, be a good deal and why Chelsea wouldn't do it. But at the same time, I think 
Chelsea are kind of making a rod for their own backs here in the way they're they're mm. they're acting um, around the transfer market in terms of proving that they're willing to pay these high prices. I think that does make it difficult to to negotiate fees down. If you look at the way they conducted themselves in the summer, I think it makes it very difficult. For example, with their Enzo Fernandez deal when they've gone in mm. and indicated they want to pay 105 million and then started negotiating that kind of stuff is I, I think. Listen, Todd Bowley's new to the game. He's new to trying to deal with everything. But I do think they need to maybe have a window where they just look at everything and say, look, we, we're we not going to be sort of held to ransom because of the fact we're clearly a very rich club. And Man City mm. are very good at that. I think Newcastle have done that very well. I think Arsenal are generally quite good at it as well. And that's a real, that's something you need to really show for yourself. Manchester United have struggled with that issue as well recently. And if you're not willing to walk away from deals, then obviously it becomes a lot more difficult. And listen, they've got Joao Felix, Arsenal were interested, but Chelsea have got him. I personally don't think it's the end of the world for Arsenal though. Yeah, uh, neither do I. Um, I've done so much reading and, and listening to experts on Joao Felix in the last week or so and um, producing content that looks, uh, you know, on the surface now redundant because obviously he's gone somewhere else. But actually, I think you can look back on the research that, that you do around a player and look at it from a different angle when he goes somewhere else to kind of look at the reasons why maybe Arsenal didn't move as Ralph Alex. Initially, the finances involved are mental for a six-month loan deal with next to no hope of ever getting any long-term gain from it because the extension at Atleti means he's, he's going to be there in the next season under a new manager, we expect, with Simeone potentially leaving. Um, and for what we need, he isn't a lone number nine. And if we're looking out for another winger, which we're going to talk about shortly, whilst he can play in a wide area, he's been playing in a two-striker system for the most of the time at Atletico, if not in a 4-3-3 playing off of the, the central striker, which if Arsenal do manage to bring home uh, their priority target being Mudrick during this window, you're looking, you're going, where is, is Felix going in? And going to Chelsea, you'd expect that he isn't going to be playing striker. You think he's going to go in there and play off of the striker in a wide area. He may play in the middle because they lack so many options there at the moment, of course, which is a big thing for them. Um, and Havertz, ironically, there's a lot of similarities there because he, like Felix, is not a natural number nine, but has had to play at number nine for Chelsea because of the lack of options in that area. So I think there's a lot of similarities there potentially between the two. And I think there's a lot of reasons why he didn't move. And, and I think the reasons why Arsenal fans shouldn't be overly um, upset as to why it didn't happen. What fans might be upset about is if we have to go another day without hearing any more information about Mihailo Mudrik. Um, so let's let's talk about Mudrik uh, and kind of the state of play. Why don't we start with that? As of your understanding, Kaya, what is the state of play as things stand when we're recording this on the 12th of January? <laughs> At 1.42pm. 1.42pm, which of course this will go out later, but this yes, is when we're recording. True, so true. I'm going to make people wait a little bit longer by just asking, is, are we saying Mihailo rather than Mikhailo? Yes, I have got it on good authority that it is Mihailo Mudrik. Yes. Okay, that's that's me That's me told. I need to need to change that whenever I'm talking about him. Uh <laughs> understanding is uh, listen it's, it's what we've reported on football at london website two bids have been put in so far uh both rejected um talks still ongoing but talks are progressing positively now and i think chelsea do seem to be backing away from that deal i think they've they've very much understood that the player does want to come to arsenal and anyone who owns an instagram account can see that the player wants to go up to arsenal it doesn't take a genius to work that out you've seen the latest um, one today 
I haven't seen the latest one today. So the latest one is that he's got a picture of his cat, right? I'm serious. A picture of his cat in front of him with the caption in, um, in obviously a different language saying, um, my biggest cheerleader. And then in the background on the TV above him is a transfer video of him superimposed into a Arsenal shirt. <laughs> It's incredible. I mean, you, got you got to respect the hustle. The man clearly wants his yeah. move. It, it, you know, the vibe generally is that he's going to get it. I don't want to mm. say it with complete certainty because then you get held to held to these kind of Mental. things. But as yeah. we're speaking on 12th of January at now 1.44 p.m., <laughs> yes. it's progressing positively. And I think Arsenal are, are feeling pretty good about it. Um, Chelsea having got Felix instead and sort of generally backing away and understanding the player's desire. The fact the player is so keen to come means that personal terms won't be an issue as well. It's just about negotiating that fee with Shakhtar, which the talks are ongoing for. So, yeah, there's not that much of a, a concrete update, I guess, in terms of anything new that's happened. But I think Arsenal are, are happy with the way things are progressing and um, hopefully they'll be able to get that deal done. It does look like that's the direction of travel. But listen, mm. things can change very quickly. And before I get held to that, I'll just add, add that caveat. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's, it's needed um, because things in football change so drastically. And, you know, there is a lot of frustration, I think, amongst sections of the Arsenal fan base as to why this is taking so long to happen. Um, I have put an article out today kind of explaining a lot of the reasons and the factors behind why this deal is taking so long. And feel free to go read that. In short, just to give you a brief kind of outline, there's a number of factors. One, Shakhtar Donetsk are notoriously difficult to negotiate with. They're very stubborn on their valuations of players. That has been made even worse by the fact that with the situation in Ukraine and the invasion of Ukraine, that they lost a lot of their sellable assets for next to nothing and really cut price fees because of this rule FIFA brought in that foreign players could leave and basically just end their deals uh, on a certain date, which is madness, which they are now in a legal battle. Uh, supposedly, they've, I think, sent documents to the Court of Arbitration for Sports uh, around this about potentially re recovering around 50 million euros um, worth of, of damages, basically, um, that they lost through that period. Um, and that has obviously put them in a position whereby they have who they believe to be the most valuable player they've ever had at the club. Their record exit is Fred to Manchester United for £52 million, pounds, uh, 59 to €60 million Euros when it happened. Um, but they've sold other players, Alex Tejera, for around €50 million. Euros. They've sold Willian, Henrik Mkhitaryan. Um, David Neres went recently. I think he was actually one of the players that left for a lot lower than they would have sold him. Fernandinho is another. Yes, Fernandinho, of course, another one. Uh, they've had plenty. Um, but Mudrick being homegrown, you know, uh, a production of their um, youth setup as well. They're trying to get the absolute maximum for him. Uh, and there's also the situation with Arsenal. Don't that they know that they've got a situation where there are other needs this window, and they will have certainly amount of money, and will know that the more they spend on this could hamstring them a little bit regarding what they might do elsewhere if they do. Now, our latest information, Kyra, as I'm sure you'll tell us, is that another forward may seem unlikely at this stage. Yeah, an out-and-out out number nine, I'd say, is highly unlikely. Jesus, hopefully, isn't too far off. He's responding well to all the treatment, all the, all the talk is that the recovery is going well. Um, they feel they've got options just about to play number nine until then. And I think they don't want a, I guess, a, a logjam of strikers, a centre-forwards when they do come back, because they've given Eddie Nketiah this, this long-term contract on close to 100 grand a week. Um, he's scoring goals, four and four. So it doesn't really make sense to go out and sign another number nine, especially when you've got Flo Balogun out on loan as well, doing pretty pretty well. So um, 
Martinelli can play there, Smith Rowe can play there. There are options. None of them are ideal if Enketia does get an injury or suspension or whatever. But I think they feel as though they can they can get by until um, Jesus is is returned fit, and then hopefully things will be back to normal. So I, I'd be very surprised if an Orthodox number nine came in. That's the that's what I'm hearing. But um, we'll see. Yeah, we will. Um, I mean, yeah, certainly the interest in, in Joao Felix was there. Um, it was a deal that was an opportunity that was that was potentially there that ended up not really working for them. So what we do know is that if there's an opportunity the club feel is, is a good enough one and it will bring in a quality player, that they are always open to to doing that if it's feasible. The last area is, of course, the midfields. And that's why I say if, you know, with the Mudrick situation, how that affects how Arsenal might be able to reinforce the midfield. You reported, obviously, previously that the, the kind of interest in Yuri Tillemans has cooled uh, somewhat uh, with, you know, my understanding was that Leicester's asking price has always been well beyond what Arsenal would be interested in, in looking at at this moment in time. And he is, of course, available on a free where they might reinvigorate their interest if indeed other avenues don't necessarily work out. But are you expecting them to push for maybe a midfielder between now and the end of the window if they secure the Mudrick deal? Um I again would be a little surprised just because the what obviously they went for Douglas Louise in the summer, mm. but what triggered them to go for Douglas Louise was two injuries to Mohamed El Neni and uh, Thomas Partey, and they weren't sure that Thomas Partey would be able to come back fully fit. And he's obviously got a, a poor track record when it comes to injuries, and they wanted to play Lukonga a little bit further forward. And El Neni was out for three months with a with a torn hamstring, and basically it was quite a sort of um, hectic last few days of the window for Arsenal. This time around, El Neni's fit. Uh, Partey's fit, you know. Fingers crossed. We, we're going to <laughs> going to Tottenham this weekend. We've all got very bad memories of what happened at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium when it comes to Thomas yeah. Partey's fitness. But it seems like he's fit. Um, Granite Jacker is a machine. Doesn't ever seem to get injured. Again, fingers crossed. Martin Odegaard's doing very well. Fabio Vieira did superbly in the FA Cup. And I think you know there are plenty of options in that midfield area. Of course, Dinchenko can slide in there if needs be. So you know there there are options. And I don't think that they necessarily feel they need to. <laughs> go out and buy anyone desperately but listen if, if they do go out and sign someone then that'd be great and it's a position where you know beyond maybe the starting 11 and I think you asked Mikel Arteta about this the other day mm. there are maybe there is a bit of a drop off from the starting 11 to the the backup players and I guess it's tricky because they don't play so often and all that kind of stuff and you know the, the rhythm of playing alongside the best players in the team and all that kind of stuff you see Eddie Nketiah, for example, is doing much better now. He's got the first team around him as opposed to when he's with the second team. It's obviously a lot mm. more difficult. But um, as far as I know, midfielder, not close at the minute. But um, who knows? Maybe once uh, Madrid gets sorted, if Madrid gets sorted, then uh, they can start looking at midfield. <laughs> if and when, if and when. Um, yeah, indeed. Uh, and I think that, you know, we're going to be tackling some more uh, in part two regarding transfers. But uh there's, there's a hope that this window will be uh, Arsenal taking the opportunity that's presented them by this season um, and that whatever we do is is both for the short and the long term. And I think that Mudrick certainly is that. Um, let's talk about the last topic before we go to part two, which is, of course, this weekend's clash against Tottenham. It is, in my view, the best shape, touch words, that we've been in going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium looking for a win. And not only I say that because of where we are and the form that we've been in, of course, also the form that they've been in as well of late and the struggles they've had this season. But if you compare the team that we will have available compared to last season, we'll have Ben White, we'll have William Saliba, we'll have Alexander Zinchenko, and we'll have Thomas Partey, who all obviously weren't there for that 3-0 defeat. Instead, we had Rob Holding, Cedric, 
uh, Tomiyasu playing at left back, of course, um, and Mohamed El Neni in midfield instead of Partey. So that's a significant step up, and we're in a very different period now as well. How are you feeling going into this one? I don't think you can ever feel too confident going to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Arsenal have a terrible record there. They're yet to win at that stadium. They didn't beat them when they played at Wembley. And I think the last time Arsenal won away, if I'm not mistaken, was 2013 with that Thomas Rosicki goal. So been, uh, You're very close. Sorry. <laughs> so close, but yet so far. Uh, nine years. Oh, I was going to say a decade. That sounded so much better than Oh, nine no. Next season. Next season. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Hopefully not. But um, I think... It's always a difficult place to go. The atmosphere is always difficult. Last season, Arsenal were very unlucky. And despite all the ridiculous commentary around it, suggesting they bottled it from the likes of Gary Neville and plenty of other pundits who had mm. strong opinions on that game. We all know the circumstances around it last season where it had to be delayed because of COVID. And it was delayed until the penultimate, penultimate game of the season just for maximum drama by Sky. Mm. And by that point, Arsenal had, I think run as far as they could go with the the squad that they had it was a very limited squad um obviously they gutted a lot of their depth in in january they'd sold or loaned a lot of their their squad players just because they had one competition to focus on and that proved to be a problem for arsenal and you mentioned all those players who had to come in uh, with all due respect to them they weren't on the same level as the starters who i think arsenal have now and i think that's mm. going to be a massive improvement for Arsenal. they go there in great form they go there with a clear identity they go there knowing exactly how they want to play and impose themselves on the game but Tottenham also have a clear identity, I guess, in the sense that they like to counter-attack. That's kind of their thing. Even at home, they're not bothered about having possession. Whatever you might think about that, Antonio Conte's style is very effective counter-attacking football. And they have a clean bill of health from, from what I'm hearing. Conte seems to think that they'll have a fully fit squad for that game. So there's lots of players that can cause Arsenal lots of problems. And it's not going to be an easy game. I think if Arsenal come away from that, from that match with a draw, that is perfectly fine and, you know, a very good result as far as the long-term title ambitions are concerned. Obviously, you don't want to give any ground to Man City and the gap would potentially fall to three, which is not ideal because they have a superior goal difference and then you start looking over your shoulder a bit more, especially with Manchester United coming up the week after. But I think Arsenal will go there wanting to win. They want to play their way and listen, if it works on the day, fantastic. And, you know, they have a few injuries to key players and a few questionable question marks when it comes to fitness, mm -hmm. but it's it's... It's going to be a fantastic game, hopefully. And fingers crossed Arsenal can come away with the result. Yeah, that, I, I hate the build-up to this game. It is my least favourite game of the season in regards to the build-up. I, I can't stand it, you know. Um, there's, And I think that comes from, as you say, the record that we've got in this game is, is horrific. It's really bad and we need to change it. What I would say is that Mikel Arteta in the last three years has worked very hard on changing a lot of the records that Arsenal have. Got the first win at Old Trafford since 2006, you know, records against teams like Brighton. Uh, you know, teams like Crystal Palace away from home. Games where we've really struggled historically to pick up points, he's turned that, you know, and changed that. And, uh, you know, eradicating silly mistakes defensively, giving away stupid red cards or penalties, you know, these have gone. And if there's one game in which Arsenal have a history of silly red cards or penalties, it is, of course, the away fixture at Spurs. So... This is a game to really show the progress that's been made. It's a game to make another statement this season. Um, and there's real hope that we will do that. There's a lot of pressure, I think, on Eddie Nketiah in this game. Um, because, of course, he scored against Brighton. Uh, he scored against West Ham United. He's got two goals against Oxford. So in regards to his last four games, he's got four goals. He didn't score in what was a very big game against Newcastle. Had a really big chance and forced a really good save from Nick Pope. Um 
But it is kind of these games, and I hark back to the Chelsea game last season when he came in and scored twice there, that it's those moments that are going to separate him from Eddie, you know, Eddie coming through the academy, and we're not really sure about him, to Arsenal's number 14 of 2023, <laughs> Eddie and And it is those, I think, that's going to separate them. And if he can get a good performance and score and be the difference in this game, it could change a lot of minds in just 90 minutes. Yeah, it's Eddie versus Eddie. You know, there's a, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's, a difference. <laughs> there's a difference. I get what you're saying. I, yeah. I agree. I think, he, listen, he, he made a big difference in big games last season. He kept Arsenal mm. in the hunt for the top four. And away at Stamford Bridge, not an easy place to score goals. Scored, um, I want to say he scored against United, but I can't remember for, for certain if he did. No, no he, 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 he won the penalty, didn't he? he um, do you remember? Yeah. Yes, that is correct. Um he scored scored two against Leeds was the one I got confused by. But um listen, he's 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 had a great uh return, if you like, to the Arsenal starting lineup. And his attitude has always been really positive this season. We we spoke to him before one of the Europa League games in a press conference. And mm. I was really impressed by how it was basically an exercise in asking one man the same question in multiple different ways. Everyone was asking him, Look, you signed this contract, do you think you should be playing more? And his whole thing was I'd love to be playing more, but also I'll be ready when I'm there, when I'm needed. It's a long season. These opportunities will come. And mm. that's proven to be the case. This is his opportunity. He's doing very well so far. And I don't think he even played badly against Newcastle. I think I may even have given him my man of the match in that game. I'm not sure. I have yeah. to consult my, my player ratings from that game. But he performed well, I thought. I thought he was one of the, the, the better performers on the night. And hopefully he can continue that form against Tottenham. It's not easy against that back line. Romero is a physical player. I'll say uh, in the most sort of polite way I can. Eric Dyer mm-hmm. is also very physical. Uh, Longley is pretty strong. Uh, ben Davis can be difficult. So up against that back three as a, a lone striker can be tricky. And Gabriel Jesus is very strong and very well built and can deal with that. But Eddie looks stronger and stronger with each game. And I think he'll be able to hopefully make a difference. And he's caused problems for every team he's faced since he come back into the team. And hopefully that can continue. Absolutely. It was, um, he scored the goal against United that then was ruled out and brought back for a penalty that Saka won. Uh, that's, that's what happened one. in that that's game. Um, I was like, I realised that as you were talking, he didn't win the penalty, but scored what was then ruled out and then brought back. It was a weird thing where United fans celebrated that the goal was ruled out and then watched as then we scored a penalty <laughs> afterwards. It was quite funny. And so then Bruno the Fernandes. Yeah, Bruno Fernandes missing that penalty. Yeah. Awful penalty that day. Really could have changed things significantly. Um so, yeah, that, that kind of concludes uh, the view. I'll get a prediction from you as well, because I know you love doing those. Scoreline and scorers, if you have them. Uh, realistically, I don't think I can predict Arsenal to win, even though I do think what? if you want to win the Premier League title, you do have to go to these kind of places and get a decent result. I'm going to say one all. Um, I think even even in their current form and even as badly as Spurs have been playing recently, I think they're still a team that you can't rule out. And in a North London derby, they always seem to up their game, particularly at home. So one all for me. Uh, let's go Eddie and Ketia to score, given that we've been talking about him a bunch just now. Okay. I'll be the optimist then and say 2-1. Uh, I just think it's impossible not to to predict um, a, <laughs> a penalty or something going their way. So Harry we'll Kane will score a penalty. Yes, that yes, is true. It's almost, as long as he doesn't get the record in this game, you know, I'm kind of, I'll take that. You know, it's, 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 that's a frustrating reality that could happen. Mm. Um, but hopefully we prevent that. Anyway, let's, uh, let's move to part two and your questions right after this. So 
So let's. Um, do you want to go first, or do you want to go first? Have you got a question ready, or shall I? I haven't got one ready, so I'll, I'll let you go first if that's okay. I'm still getting. I'm getting used to the new Q and A element of our of our podcast. <laughs> this is. Uh, if, you, if you've got one ready to go, then that's yes, uh, this is very Arscast X. Um, S, sorry, <laughs> I, I don't want to act like you know we've invented this idea. You know, You're very much James and Andrew inspired. Um, so really good question from Jean, um, who replied saying we have uh, Charlie Patino, Amario Koja Dubrief and Ranieri following Balogun and a few more youngsters who genuinely seem like in a few years will be world beaters. Does it make more sense to buy experience now who can play at the top level through, through, uh, for three to five years and mentor those young players into first team stars? Um, it's a tricky one, I think. You want to create a pathway for those young players where they can play. And I think we've seen it with players like Sambi Lakonga, who, when they don't play, they sort of stagnate and ultimately do go back a bit. Reese Nelson, someone who's kind of similar, where he's not had that obvious pathway to, to game time. And I think it's really been to his detriment. I think he's a fantastic player and I still think he could potentially offer something. But it's also to his detriment that it's not really um, had that level of game time. Someone like a Patino. You, you you wonder if Arsenal do bring in a midfielder and you're trying to tie Patino down to a long-term contract, it's quite difficult to sell that to him. He's got two years left on his deal, obviously. And um, how do you sell to him that you will one day be a first-team player for Arsenal when he's got Granit Xhaka, who's not going to be removed from the team anytime soon, and a new signing ahead of him in the in the starting lineup? I just it's it's very difficult to to make that that pitch to Patino, as talented as he might be, and I think he's going to be a very good player. Uh, Flo Balligan's another one. It's sort of if Arsenal go out and sign an experienced stopgap, if you like, even though they kind of have that in Eddie and Ketia, do you really you kind of risk losing him and you don't want to do that? So personally, I think it makes sense to have a really strong first eleven and then a few experienced players around that, but largely uh, sort of buttress that with um young players, squad players who are young players and academy players. And Arsenal have done that very well. Joe Willock, for example, was a fantastic example of that. Eddie Nketi is a great example of that. And I mentioned him already, Reese Nelson. Um, they've done that with, with young players in the past, and it's, it's worked out pretty well for them. Ainsley Maitland-Niles was another one who did a very good job for Arsenal filling in when he needed to. And the likes of Patino, maybe Balogun in the long run, I think that's that's their 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 next step in the squad, ideally, is if you're, if you're looking at trying to sell Arsenal first team to someone like Charlie Patino, you maybe say, look, come back from Blackpool. You've done very well there. Mm. potentially Lukonga might be on his way out. That's not based on any information. That's just a hunch. But if he does leave, then you look at maybe could Patino come in and be the backup. That's where I see those kind of game times. But it's always very difficult because Arsenal can't be looking to the long term all the time because they do need to achieve in the short term. So it's tricky. But Edu's role in, encapsulates the academy as part of a part of the recruitment process. And Arteta is very aware of that. He's very willing to give young players an opportunity, despite what some people might say. I think he's shown in the past he's willing to do that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it makes sense. And I think Arsenal, um, hopefully, will, will be able to bring through more young players because they all look very exciting. I, I, I hate to be kind of a bearer of the, the bad news side of things, but it is always important to remember that only some can ever make it. You know, it's it's a reality. We always go, this kid's amazing and this kid coming through looks great. You know, we were saying this about so many. Like Miguel Aziz is a really good example. Someone that we thought was going to be a real star and is now on his third loan deal in, in two years after being recalled twice. And there's still hope that there might be a future for him at Arsenal, but it's, it's changed significantly in the last year. 
and Arsenal know that, especially when you have other players suddenly come through, like Charlie Patino has, has really well gone beyond Aziz. Aziz was certainly ahead of him, I think, at one point. And in the last year, 18 months, as Patino has certainly, I think, accelerated ahead of, of Aziz in, in kind of that pecking order to come through in midfield. So we'll see if that changes. Um, let's let's move on to question two. Kaya, do you have uh, do you have one ready? I did. And uh, yes, <laughs> here it is. Uh, one of a gun at one of a gun one. Um, actually, before I get to his question, I just want to um, do a bit of breaking news, if you like this, that's come up. Hmm. Um, that goodness. is from the FA that uh, Arsenal have been charged with breaching uh, a certain rule, rule E20.1, which is that apparently their players uh, did not conduct themselves in an fashion during the 34th minute of their FA Cup tie with Oxford. Um, you were at the game. So I'm just I'm interested to get your reaction to it, just based on that. I was watching it on TV. That doesn't really bring to mind. Uh, anything. You were at the game. I, I I'm think just, you'd be able to give more of a better reaction than me. I'm just going to go back and check the timeline. 34th minute, did you say? Yes, that yeah. is what it says. Sorry, listeners, this isn't great. <laughs> this isn't. Yeah, no, this is fine. This is. I mean, people listening to us react to this live is quite interesting. So, this is where Tierney made a mazy run infield before finding Saka. He laid it off to Tommy Asu, but the cross was poor. Arsenal recycled the ball well, though, and Lukonga sees an effort blocked behind the corner. So, this was the handball incident, if you remember, um, where Lukonga right. had shot that was then handled and in fairness a lot of players surrounded the referee Lukonga did Martinelli did I think there was a number of others and after the Newcastle game they can't do that it is a rule that you only the captain is allowed I know what you're going to say that this is it's overkill and they're really harshly punishing Arsenal but I think after they received that charge against Newcastle what happened is they can't do it I think it's ridiculous I agree with you there's emotion in those moments and I think that needs to be taken into account um, but they were very forward with their um, protests after the after it was given, and after you you know after you've just been charged a week prior, I think they're not going to that they they're making a statement here. I don't know what this means with it being two in a, a week. Um, neither, to be honest, I don't know the the implications of that. I'd say two things um, on this, and the first thing is. I think it was humble. I think it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think they were well within their rights to appeal for that. That's uh, an important starting point. And secondly, if you're going to do this, I feel like you, and listen, I'm, I'm fully aware that Arsenal supporting bias may influence my assessment of the situation here. And um, I feel like I'm in a safe company to be, to be, to have that hat on. So I think that's fine. But I think if you're going to do this, you have to do it for every team that surrounds the referee. And I think every team does surround the referee. I think, Probably Liverpool players do it, Manchester City players do it, um, Chelsea players do it, every team does it. And I, I agree, I think there's a real problem in, in football, the culture of, I guess, being quite aggressive to referees. And I, it's called working the referee within the game in terms of just trying to get them to bend a little bit more to your will. But at the same time, mm. that's a cultural thing across the game. And I think it's it's tough not to just uh, to single out one team for, for the issues. There's There's plenty of pictures of Newcastle players from from the other night um, surrounding the referee. No action has been taken against them, and you wonder what the uh, the thinking is behind it. And listen, I think the fact that we were all struggling to remember the incident is is possibly a sign that it might not have been as bad as it hopes. And Arsenal have the right to appeal it, so maybe they will. I don't know, but I I, I personally think that's a bit farcical from the FA, and uh, yeah, not not their not their finest hour. Yeah. Mm. It's frustrating. Um, it's frustrating because 
I can completely understand why the FA have done it, you know, in the sense of it's a week, it's a less than a week since they were charged for the same thing that they then did again. So I know that they're making an example. I just feel as though there's a little bit of a lack of, I think there's a lack of perspective about the situation of both of them. We don't know what was said, if anything was said in particular by the players in those moments as well, but no one was booked. No one was red carded. You know, so that's also something to be said. If something was genuinely that bad, well, surely uh, I think it was David Coots was the referee. Um, he would have he would have booked someone, you know, and and nothing and said. But obviously they're going to speak to the players this week. It's interesting they're doing this ahead of the North London derby. You know, that mm-hmm. is one of the fire most fiery games of the season. Um, so yeah, that's that is it. Um, anyway, this nice is, breaking news to yes. react. <laughs> question though, to this from our our, uh, our question. And the question was from one of a gun at one of a gun one on Twitter, who says, "If you're Eddie, besides Mudrick, who would be your left field signings this January?" I don't think he means a left winger. I think he means sort of out of the blue signings. What player have you got your eye on that you think would be a nice addition to this Arsenal squad? It's a good question because uh, you know, kind of the Fabio Vieira esque style signing where they just pop out of nowhere and. You know, the two positions I really want to see us go after Mudrick is forwards and and centre midfields. You know, I still think the forward line needs that extra. I think we need more goals this season. I think we need more strength in in depth in that forward line. And yes, I know there's a big gap between the starters and and the rotational players in midfield. That's why I asked Arteta about it. And that's why he deflected it away (laughs) most immediately and said, you know, it's his job to, to improve that. But... You know, I, it's, there's part of me would like to see Tillerman still. I'm not a big fan of, of the criticism that he gets in this season because I think there's perspective around the fact he's playing in a very bad Leicester side right this season. And I think that he does need a leash of, of life and a refresh and a refurb as a player. And he could be released at Arsenal into that way. And we might get the Tillemans that we saw winning the FA Cup for, for Leicester and, you know, really establishing himself as a Premier League top midfielder at Leicester. And I think that that would... So if that suddenly was accelerated and we rekindled or revived that real interest, that would be a pretty cool one. Um, and then in terms of a forwards, uh, that... That strange uh, story that was at the end of last summer where apparently Arsenal had a, an offer knocked back for Ferran Torres very late on. I like Ferran Torres. I like his versatility. I think that he reached a certain level at Man City that hasn't been replicated at Barcelona again. And obviously Arteta has worked with him before and has a good record of now, you know, bringing players that he's worked with into the club and seeing them succeed. And he likes him as far as I'm aware. He really likes Ferran Torres. So, that as another potential forward option, I think would be very exciting to see Arsenal go for. Um, what about you? Any names that are jumping off the page that you'd like to see surprise us? Um, I guess Meetema is another one at Brighton, actually. Me- Sorry, Cairo Meetema, the yes. winger at Brighton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really yeah, yeah. like him, sure. really like sure. him. Yeah, very exciting player. Um, I, it kind of links to a, a couple of other questions we got, and I'll, I'll give them a shout out as well. Mm. Ice Cade on the Twitter says the Twitter, Ice Cade on Twitter. Twitter. Sorry, I've never sounded more, <laughs> like, my, um, more like my mum there. Um, Ice Cade on Twitter, Ice, at Ice Cade official says, Do you see Arsenal signing Declan Rice? What do you think of that kind of deal? Um, it's another question from Sammy Emmanuel. He says, When are we on, my, on the Facebook? On Facebook. Um, who says, uh, when are we signing a party replacement, please? And this is all in capital letters as well from Sammy. So that's a, a very sincere question. And I think the, the two questions kind of have a similar answer. I think Declan Rice would be a superb addition to this Arsenal squad because I think he could be cover for Thomas Partey. I think he could put pressure on Granite Xhaka in that, that left eight role. He, he can do both roles. I don't think he's as technically secure as a 
Thomas Partey and you'd, you'd lose a bit of that, but you, you get that defensive covering and you get someone who's a bit better on the ball than Mohamed Elneny. I think personally he can, he can play it forward. He can do those, those kind of long raking balls, maybe not the intricate kind of balls that Thomas Partey does, but I, I, I like Declan Rice. He would cost a lot, but the, the, the fees are being quoted around 80 million and, I've not heard anything suggest Arsenal will sign him. Um, it's just a, just an idea that I think it would be a, a good addition for Arsenal. And look, he wants to probably leave West Ham this summer. It doesn't look like they're doing much this season. They won't be in Europe next season, most likely. Um, Chelsea probably aren't going to qualify for the Champions League. He says he wants mm. Champions League football. Maybe there's a deal to be done there. Um, I think he'd be superb. Another one, of course, is Jude Bellingham, who I think would be a fantastic addition to the Arsenal midfield. But again, you're sort of... It's a, it's a tricky one where how do you... How do you attract someone like that? I know Arsenal could go into the transfer window in the summer as Premier League winners and Champions League team almost for certain. But even still, very difficult yeah. to attract someone like Jude Bellingham. Wages, transfer fee, all that kind of stuff. Very yeah. tricky. But yeah, Rice or, Rice or Bellingham would be uh, fantastic additions. But that's pie in the sky thinking, I think, on my part. Yeah, uh, 100%. Uh, I, I think Rice in the summer is realistic. I, I genuinely do think it's a realistic option for Arsenal, uh, especially with Champions League football and the fact he wants to stay in London, supposedly, too. I think there's a lot to be said. And if Chelsea, especially, was one of his biggest suitors before, don't make Champions League, and that's really what he wants to go and do, we could be in a really good position um, for that one. So, yeah, that's going to be an interesting story to follow in the summer. But Jude Bellingham, I just can't see the wages that the likes of City and Liverpool are going to offer. And Real Madrid's apparently are really big suitors in for him as well now. So I, I, I don't see that being as a, as a potential one for us, unfortunately, because it would be a brilliant signing. Um, let's go to a couple more uh, before we wrap things up. Sorry, that breaking news really, it's the DFA, you can be really angry at them for not only charging us, but uh, eating into our question section. Um, let's go to, this is a really interesting one from Daniel, who says uh, at Daniel Phenomeno on Twitter, is Saliba our worst defender? In brackets, this is a credit to our defence. Noticed how opponents now usually targeting him. So it's that weird question of, is he the worst of a really good bunch is basically what the question is right now. He's asking, have Gabriel, Zinchenko and Ben White been better than Saliba at the current state of play? I see what he's saying. Hmm. I wonder if there's a bit of recency bias in that question and we Hmm. forget what Saliba did before the World Cup. And I do think we forget Zinchenko's missed a lot of football and defensively, if you're asking best defender, it's not Zinchenko's strong suit. We all know he's, he's better technically on the ball and uh, sort of affecting the, the play in the opposition half rather than defending his own box. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, no, I don't think Saliba's been the worst defender. I think he's been a little bit poor over the past couple of games, and I think he needed that rest against Oxford because he looked a bit rusty when he came back from the World Cup, when he hardly played, and I think he's a player who benefits from playing all the time. We saw that when he went off to Nice. He was a little bit rusty at first, but really got into the swing of things. When he'd been at, sort of in the under-23s, not really playing, he went off to Nice and took a little while to get going, but once he got going was superb. And um, yeah, I think it's probably a testament to how good the other ones are that we're even having that conversation. It's, it's funny, I remember after the last, last North London derby, you, myself and uh, our colleague David Keir were, were in the office. Um, we were doing a, a similar show to the, one of these and we were discussing, is Gabrielle the liability in the back mm, line? And he's yeah. obviously gone on to, to prove us wrong after he gave away a penalty in that game. And it's just form. Players go through peaks and troughs. Saliba's not playing as well as he has been in the first half of the season right now, but he's still a very good player. He's still only 21 as well. Mm. And look, the, the contract talks seem positive on that front. Arsenal need to get that deal done as soon as possible because he's only got, what, 
18 months left on his deal now. So he's going to be a, an excellent defender, possibly, you know, best in the world kind of thing. I think he just needs to maybe find a way of just keeping his focus throughout the game. The, the, these mistakes all seem to be sort of lapses in concentration rather than necessarily deficiencies in terms of quality. So I would I would say mm. that Saliba is, is he's, yeah, he's going through a bad run of form, but his bad run of form is still very good compared to a lot of what Arsenal centre-backs have been like in the past. Absolutely. I remember writing that piece about Gabriel and like why he doesn't deserve the criticism he's getting. And, and he, I think he's showing that, you know, in these games. I think he was, he's was he been really good since coming back. His progression out of the back is getting better. I think his passing is getting better. The way in which he links with Zinchenko in particular, I think has got really good. Um, and he doesn't look like the player that has got that mistake in him at the moment, you know, that's going to cost us. And at the start of the season, and the end of last season, that certainly was the case. He did look like he was a player that might have a little bit of a, uh, a moment where he would lose kind of concentration. He usually came back after those errors with some really good performances. I remember the one against Fulham where he gave the ball to Mitrovic, but then scored the winner in that game. So I think that he's kind of really eradicated those, which is nice to see, especially after signing a new deal, because the amount of times we've seen players sign new deals and then dip has been too frequent. So the fact he's gone on to improve after this new deal is, I think, a really good sign for the future. I reckon we've got time for two more questions. So, Kaya, you have one, and then I'll have one. So have you cool. got one at the ready? Yes, got one ready to go from Messi Music and Ball, uh, at Messi Music. Oh, Raph. I know Messi Music, that's Raph. Okay, yes. there you go. Hello, Raph. Um, his question is quite an interesting one. I think Kieran Tierney, this is from him, I think Kieran Tierney has a serious chance of leaving this summer. Stylistically, he doesn't seem to be a fit for what Mikel Arteta wants. Do you think this is the first window where we will see players leave like a Kieran Tierney as the team evolve? And who are the others who you think could leave who would be a bit of a surprise? I, I agree with Raf. I think that Tierney is one of the players to watch regarding a potential surprise exit. Um, if you think about the squad as is right now, it is mainly made up of players that were signed during Arteta's tenure. You've got Ramsdale, you've got Ben White, you've got um, uh, Saliba, you've got Gabriel. Uh, sorry, not Saliba, just Gabriel, but Saliba is obviously integrated under Arteta. Uh, Zinchenko, uh, who's obviously taken Tierney's spot. You've got Thomas Partey. Uh, Xhaka, you can look at as a player that he turned around. You know, he, he convinced Xhaka to stay uh, when he was looking for a moment like he might be going off, I think, to her to Berlin, you know, at the time. What a turnaround that's been. Martin Odegaard, uh, a players that he's also renewed in Martinelli and Saka that signed new deals under Arteta. And Nketiah that he gave a new deal to as well as Gabriel Jesus, of course, up top. Now, Tierney was renewed under Arteta. He was one of the first players that was ever re-signed, uh, actually, uh, under Arteta's project, way before we signed Zinchenko. He has been asked to try and adapt to what Mikel Arteta wants from that left-back role. And this season, we've really seen him try. You know, when he's been called upon, he's really tried to, to be more inverted. I see him moving into midfield. I see him operating in the space between Gabriel and, and Saliba sometimes. He drops so centrally. And he isn't as good at it as Zinchenko is the bottom line because Zinchenko is just tailor-made to play that style and that's why we invested in him. Tierney is a player that wants to play and wants to start when he's available and when he's not starting, yes, he understands this competition. I remember he did an interview, I think, with Sky in which he talked about understanding that there is competition and that he's got to earn his place. But at the age that he is, um, the level that he knows he can play at, he will want to play and 
he isn't an Arsenal fan. It's worth pointing that out. He's, you know, he's a Celtic boy and he left his boyhood club to make that step to Arsenal to take his game to that next level. And so he's an ambitious player that is willing to make sacrifices or take risks in order to further his career, clearly. And so if a move to another top club came up where he was guaranteed starting time, I wouldn't be surprised. I remember seeing those links to Real Madrid only last summer, you know, and, and Real Madrid's relationship with left-backs and them signing left-backs to work as, since Marcelo has not been, you know, the best. For Lamendi has not necessarily been the best option for them in that era. Hasn't convinced since that move. And it wouldn't surprise me to see a club of that stature appreciate the level that Kieran Tinney can give you. So I agree with Raf. I think that he could be a player to watch out for. But what I would say is he's a player that I'm almost certain we'd make a profit on. Um, and one that without, I think we can move forward from comfortably, especially with Zinchenko and whoever they would then decide to replace him with. What about you? Yeah, that's the, literally the last the last thing you said there would be the only, I guess, mark against not bringing in, um, uh, not allowing Kirantini to leave in the summer. Mm. Uh, I also have a very good young left-back coming through the academy called Lino yes. Sosa, who can play that inverted role and can play it very well. But I don't think he's ready for the first team mm-hmm. just yet, despite having a few decent... Um, run outs with them in, in Dubai and um, also trained pretty well with them in, in Nuremberg in the summer. But maybe if you're looking at one more season for, for Tierney, obviously when he signed his contract a couple of years ago and that was a five-year deal, I'm pretty sure. So I think he'll have three years left on his current deal. So maybe Arsenal can afford to hold on to him for one more season. Whether he'll want to do that is a different question. And I know he's not someone who's happy. We saw this in the Amazon documentary. He said he genuinely said he had he was struggling with his mental health when he came down. And he wasn't playing, and you know that's understandable. He's very professional, but he, he's um, I think he's a respected guy around the squad, and that's um, mm. obviously because he's done so well for Arsenal in the past. But you're right, the team has and Messi Music Raf sorry said this in the question. The team has evolved, and it's always tif- difficult to to leave players like Kieran behind because they're they're such fan favourites, but. Yeah, I wonder if, if it's it's moving beyond him ever so slightly. I think he's still a very good player. And there'll be some games where Arsenal do need an overlapping left-back as opposed to an inverted left-back. You see it in the way that sometimes Ben White's asked to overlap. Sometimes he's asked to play yeah. more defensive. That's just the way it goes. So keeping Kieran Tierney around for those kind of games would be amazing if they could. But the question is, will he go for it? I'm not so sure. And then if you do let him go, who do you bring in? Do you bring in a long-term replacement? Do you bring in someone on a five-year deal? There's not that many players who can play that inverted role so well. Um, do you maybe switch Tommy Asso over to be a permanent left-back and sign another right-back? Um, there's plenty of options. And there's also, um, you know, Tavares is still an Arsenal player. He's someone yeah. to, to consider. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see him coming back to Arsenal anytime soon, but um, he will still, you know, return to Arsenal officially in the summer. And they need to move him on. So moving on two left backs and then to bring in another left back, it's it's tricky. I've not heard any indications that they're, they're in the market for a left back right now. And why would they be? They currently have three in the squad and a very promising youngster coming through. But um, if I was in this situation, I'd love to see Tierney stay for another year and then you know maybe look to move him on. But we'll see what happens with him. I, I think it's it'd be a shame to see him go, but I, I totally understand. I think he'd leave with everyone's well wishes, having done a, a very good stint down in North London. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think that he would. You know, I think he, he won't be. I don't think you know unless he moved to a Chelsea or someone like that, where you know I, I think a fellow Premier League rival. Um, it would be difficult to see that happen, and difficult to kind of justify not being a little bit maybe frustrated at that. And with him, if he chose to do that after so long at Arsenal. Um, but if he does move to, say, a European club, which I could absolutely see happening, um, 
then with the way in which British players, of course, have started to trend towards moving abroad, I, you know, I think that fair play to him. You know, you've got to respect the the way in which he's got to go after and protect his own interests and his own career. So, yeah, 100%. Let us know what your thoughts are, listeners, uh, in the comment section on YouTube. Of course, if you listen on audio only, you can hop over to YouTube and leave some comments down below and let us know what you think. Or you can tweet us at Tom Cantor Media and at Kayak97 with your thoughts. Um, I'm going to hijack the last question. Um uh, so I'm sorry, but I really want to get your uh, reply to this thing because I've been asking a lot of people this question. Um, and we had a lot of questions on which midfielder we'd sign, and I think we've covered that. We've had a lot of questions on Mudrick, and I think we've covered that. Um, so the final question, and I wrote about this, so this is why I'm curious to thoughts. You may have already read it. But if, say, we sign Mudrick, and we exhaust all of our other potential options this window. And the only option left for Arsenal to strengthen both in midfields and in the forward line is to recall following Balogun or Charlie Patino or both or neither, what would you choose to do? Neither. Let them Why? stay where they are. Let them carry on playing. Um, I don't think it's fair to them to have to recall them just for the purposes of um, first team needs in the short term. We saw this last season with a lot of the young players who came back into the squad and just spent the whole season on the bench. I know there was a lot of frustration at that. I mean, Amari Hutchinson left the club partly because of that. And you don't want to, you've got a good relationship with these young players and you don't want to be in a position where they're having to, um, I guess, just make up the numbers. They want to be involved. They want to be playing. And Mikel Arteta, when it comes to these big crunch games, he tends to favour experience when that's totally fine. If you're challenging for a Premier League title, you don't want to be gambling on a guy who, in Charlie Patino, has never pl- made, never played a minute in the Premier League, and Flo Balogun, who's only ever made one start. So mm. I would let them carry on where they're doing, where they where they are. I think Patino's doing fantastically at Blackpool. Balogun's doing superbly at Rems as well. So why why disrupt that? I, I don't see a, a point in disrupting it. I think you know let them carry on. The first team they'll get by. They've got enough midfielders. They've got enough centre forwards. They'll get by until the end of the season and then you reassess. But there's no need to sort of derail a player's development just for the, the short term. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair. Um, I I completely disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I knew this was coming. I knew this this argument was coming. I, I would recall both of them. Um, I think that with the season that we're on, I think we're going to be in a position in a number of games where both of them will get could get minutes. The problem I have with that is I'm not sure whether Arteta will. He's notorious for not giving opportunities. Like you think about the Oxford game, we had Nwanyeri, you had Butler Oyadeji on the bench. We were 3-0 up with 10 minutes to go and he brought on, who's the last? Marquinhos came on with uh, someone else. Uh, I can't remember who it was. I know that Smith Rowe and obviously Zinchenko and Xhaka came on, but I can't remember who came on with I can't remember who came on with, uh, was it Ben White? I think it was Ben White actually came on for Tommy Asu. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, like, you could have brought on Nwanyeri in that moment. You're 3-0 up, giving minutes. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he didn't. So, whilst the theory I have certainly maybe doesn't have substance regarding what Arteta would do, but I think the opportunity would be in plenty of games to, to take Nketiah off, especially in these months leading up to Gabriel Jesus' return, to give him minutes. The question in that sense is obviously, when Jesus is back, where is Balor going to get any minutes? Where is he going to play? And that's completely fair, and yeah. I recognise that. My The fear for me is obviously at strike. If we don't bring someone in, are we too sure? And I, I, that that fear is, is something that I'm struggling with. Midfield, though, with Patino... We don't really, I, I just, I look at him and go, I have more faith in his future than, say, Lukonga's. And I feel like I'd rather give minutes to Patino in that Xhaka role than I would to Lukonga, honestly. What I'd say on that is, I think, I I, I, I don't fully disagree. Mm. Um, but 
if you want to move Sammy Laconga on in the summer, tanking his value. So I'd loan him. I'd loan him in the summer. Okay, but then if you loan him, he's only got two years left on his deal at the end of that, and yes. you look at it's getting a bit murky. So I think. Good word. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, you've dis- you've distracted me with your flattery there, and I was trying to make. A <laughs> so sorry. Yeah, it's getting no, a bit murky uh, if you allow him to get down to such a short period of time on his yes. contract. Um, so I think you know, play Laconga. He's good enough right now. He's not a risk in the way that Patino would be a risk. You have to admit sure. that he would be a risk right now, even though I think he's a great player and going to be a great player. I think it's still a risk to to chuck someone into these high pressure games without really giving them necessarily that the. the, the the support they need to to, to come in, in in the right mm-hmm. situation. So mm-hmm. um, every game from now until the end of the season pretty much is important for Arsenal. FA Cup may be less important, but those Europa League knockouts will be huge. Every Premier League game is huge. Do you want to put all that on Charlie Patino? Personally, I, I think I'd rather trust um, Albert Samuel Conga right now, even though mm. I think Patino will probably in the long run be a better player. For the right now, I think, you know, let him carry on at Blackpool where he's doing superbly and playing in lots of different positions as well. Not just an eight, playing as a six as well which I think is really good and really important for him. So, listen, let him play, let Balogun play, let them have their minutes and then come back in the summer and then hopefully they'll be even better. There you go. You know, it's hard to disagree with him. It really is. Uh, <laughs> I still do a little bit, but no, it's hard. No, but genuinely, I think it's a really good discussion and one that, as I say, I ask because it creates such a good variation of responses from people. Yeah, yeah. I say people say both, neither, one or the other. Um, so let us know in the comment section what your thoughts are on that because it, you know, the reinforcement this January is so key, I think, to what we want to achieve, not just in the title, but, you know, really solidifying at that top four spot as well is important. I know we, we're not looking at finishing fifth, you know, things, our minds are very much on that, but you have to consolidate as well where you are and, 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 and stay where. So hopefully we can reinforce and hopefully it won't have to be because of having to need to recall players, fingers crossed. Kaya, thank you so much uh, for your time. Always a pleasure. Good to be back podcasting in 2023. Likewise, yeah, it's been great, and thank you everyone for getting those questions in. There, that was a really good part of the podcast. I thought, I thought that went really well, and uh, some really interesting questions. We've got very, uh, very interesting listeners, so we're very lucky on that front. Thank you very much, everyone, and thank you, Tom, as well. Indeed, you know, and if you want to get inventive with your questions, that's that's absolutely encouraged. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait yeah. to ask Kai what his favourite things are. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing how inventive we can get at times with these. But uh, we will, of course, continue to tackle all of your burning questions regarding transfers, the squad, what gains we've got coming up, trips away in Europe. That's an exciting time. March is when European action gets back underway. I almost forget sometimes we're still in that competition. Not you know, if you're, you know if you're I mean? well, Sam Matterface forgot on the ITV commentary. Uh, you of course game but um he yeah said i did Arsenal hear it in europe so they can focus on one competition despite the fact they wow. were going in to the next round of the fa cup which is two competitions but yeah um <laughs> interesting commentator we all, people Bring make mistakes people make mistakes um indeed indeed no one's perfect but that that was a he fun makes one. a lot of mistakes though yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying he didn't. Sorry, yeah, this, this, should, this, is, this is derailed. I, I, let's, let's, let's wrap this up. <laughs> he's, he's worried Sam's going to be coming for him. Yeah. Um, thank you guys for listening. It's an absolute pleasure uh, for you to join us and to listen to us back again. I hope you've enjoyed it. Do leave us some feedback. We really appreciate the feedback as well. If you think we can do anything to make this better in any way uh, or pander to your needs, we will try our best. Um, you can find Kaya on Twitter at KayaKynet97. You got any pieces or content coming out soon that you'd like to plug? Uh, press conferences tomorrow so keep mm. an eye out for that um, what I would say is Facebook as well um, thank you to everyone who got their questions in on Facebook that was that was really helpful so um, yeah also on there uh, Kaya Kanat Journalist if you want to give me a follow there 
Absolutely. Uh, please go do that. Uh, you can follow myself at Tom Cantor Media, and I'll be like Kaya putting out tweets uh, asking for questions every week when we do these podcasts. The next game is indeed Tottenham and the North London Derby, which we'll be discussing the result of in next week's podcast. And then, of course, the lead up to the Manchester United game, where we will see, hopefully, fingers crossed, if it is up in time, the new artwork officially outside the Emirates Stadium, potentially. So that could be exciting as well. Uh, thank you for listening. Drop a like, subscribe, leave us a review you on itunes if you indeed do listen there and leave us a five star rating on spotify if you listen there and anywhere else of course that you listen to this we would really appreciate that would help us push us up to more people around the world Um, but thank you for listening we'll see you again soon and as always keep following us down the arsenal way with our views from the clock end